1: Live from- Our nation's capital.
0: This buddy is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's
2: interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding.
1: Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights.
3: I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA.
4: The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018.
2: You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done.
1: This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
5: I'm Craig Gordon, Bloomberg's Washington Bureau Chief, and welcome to Sound On. I'm filling in for Kevin Cirilli, who is off. Joining me in studio today are two good friends of the show. Uh, We've got Ron Bonjean, the former communications director to the Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert. Joining us a little bit later will be Adrian Elrod, a Democratic strategist and former senior aide to the Hillary Clinton campaign. We are capping off a busy week of news here on Friday. Trump lost a labor secretary and a citizen question on the census, all in the space of about 24 hours. So a lot to talk about there. So, guys, you remember how it used to be on a Friday in summer in Washington? You'd kind of take a long lunch. You'd kind of do your expenses, make a few phone calls. <laughs> Cut out early to get the weekend started. Not anymore. It was nice. a ago. Yeah. Thanks, Trump. Uh, so just after a lot of us got to work today, uh, Donald Trump wandered out onto the White House lawn, uh, accompanied by his labor secretary, Alex Acosta, who announced he was submitting his resignation uh, effective seven days from today. This, of course, comes after renewed scu- scrutiny of Acosta's handling of an old plea deal with billionaire Jeffrey Epstein in a sex trafficking case. Of course, Epstein now uh, facing some new problems with that uh, related to underage girls. Acosta appearing with Trump today uh, ahead of his departure to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And here is what the president had to say.
3: He was a great labor secretary, not a good labor secretary. He's done a fantastic job. He's a friend of everybody in the administration.
5: Uh, Some people obviously think Acosta was perhaps a little too friendly in his handling of Epstein and the old case back in uh, Florida where uh, the the financier served about 13 months in jail for some uh, incidents there, got a work release, was able to work from his home (coughs) six or seven days a week. Um, So most people think that was a pretty friendly deal. Ron, you know, obviously uh, for Trump. Probably better that uh, Acosta's out of the cabinet than in it right now, given the scandal kind of surrounding that former plea deal. But doesn't this just serve to remind people that Donald Trump himself was once pretty chummy with Jeffrey Epstein?
6: Well, look, I would say that Acosta could have written this out. I mean, if you look at um, the variety of politicians that have gotten themselves in trouble over the past year, like look at the Virginia governor himself with the racial allegations, um, and he's still there. Uh, And I think that this... Storm would have passed it. But this was a chance for, I think, um, the Trump administration, particularly Mick Mulvaney and his team, to, to um, get push Costa, Acosta out of the way and get more of the, in their minds, a business friendly um, Secretary and Deputy Secretary Papazella to take over. I think they found that opportunity to, and they used it.
5: So this really wasn't about Jeffrey Epstein. It was just a very convenient excuse to get rid of a guy they thought they could do where they thought they could do better.
6: I, I think that's right. Next, you know, look by the, the Epstein thing would have been gone. It's really have would have been gone by this week. You know, I mean, every day feels like a year's worth of news. So unless there was something that happened, uh, the Epstein thing would have been in the rearview mirror. I think that. Some uh, people in the administration thought that um, that Acosta was a little too friendly um, on, on a, uh, to the left, more, more and some viewed him as a Democrat. So I, I view it as a power play rather than simply Acosta throwing his hands up in the air and saying, I'm doing this to help the administration.
5: Alex, I'm proud to say Bloomberg News reported about four days ago that Acosta was likely not to survive the week. So I think we kind of saw that coming. Uh, Ron is suggesting there were some ulterior motives on the president's part for perhaps asking Acosta to walk the plank. What what was our reporting showing on that?
2: Yeah, we have reported that he was kind of in trouble with people in the White House, even before the Epstein stuff blew up in his face all over again. Uh, there, There are folks in the White House, Probably McMulvaney leads that group who thought he wasn't moving fast enough on, on deregulation and reversing Obama policies. Uh, he had he had clashed with uh, other politicals in the administration. Uh, ben Penn uh, over at uh, Bloomberg BNA, who does a great job covering the Labor Department, had reported that uh, Kossett actually locked some of the politicals at, at Labor out of his office back in early 2018. Uh, relations had gotten so bad over there. So uh, he had he had made plenty of enemies in the administration. And I think Ron's probably right that they, they saw it hit him in the back.
5: So we, we now have a situation where I, I think I saw some somebody, uh, one of the TV news uh, networks had different acting people with this sort of title, acting secretary, acting this, acting that. McMulvaney himself is the acting. White House chief of staff. I didn't even know you could do that. Um, you know, Alex, how, do, how does how does the White House function with all these acting folks, and why does Donald Trump seem to like it that way? Trump, Trump has, yeah, Trump has
2: publicly said that he likes having acting guys. And you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. I think I think the deal the deal with an acting uh, cabinet secretary or an acting chief of sec, uh, chief of staff they're not accountable to anybody except the president. They they haven't gone to the Senate. They haven't received a confirmation vote in the Senate. You know, a Senate confirmed official. Uh, has a has a responsibility, a real responsibility to the American people and to the Congress that, that that confirmed him in his job, not just to the president. These acting guys, they could be fired tomorrow by, by by Donald Trump, and he could he could put up another name to to be confirmed for the job. So I think. Uh, you know, it, 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 it leaves the impression that they're only beholden to, uh, to the president.
5: Ryan, you've had a lot of jobs like this. You've worked for people like John Kyle. We also we mentioned Dennis Hastert, obviously did some work for Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court justice. Um, is what Alex says true? If you're sort of acting, you're, you're beholden to one person, or if you're confirmed, you're beholden to the Senate?
6: I think that the acting thing, I think Trump likes acting secretaries because it's like the show The Apprentice. They all want to get confirmed. And they serve, they really, um, you know, are extra sensitive to, um, to Trump's wants and needs and making sure that they're doing the best job that they can because they can always sub them out with another acting uh, person. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think, I, I, I haven't seen it as prevalent as this in my 25 years in Washington, um, and that's why, I think, that's why I think we're seeing it now is that Trump likes it that way.
5: So where does this go from here? You suggested that even if Acosta hadn't resigned, he might have been able to ride out the Epstein storm. I think a lot of media outlets are are kind of poking around in Donald Trump's past relationship with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Do you think this story, as they say in our business, has any legs The Trump-Epstein connection?
6: It might, um, but I think it'll be more toward the publications that may come out with a deep dive on their relationship. But for the most part, I think it's going to blow over and then we're going into the next... Next week, uh, another crisis, another uh, huge news blowout on something else that we don't know what to
5: expect. The um, uh, you mentioned that the, some of the groups were a little frustrated with the cost of being a little too left leaning. Is Labor Department a, a, an agency where you can you could do a lot of sort of conservative things, where there's a lot of opportunity to to kind of mix it up in the business world and in a, perhaps a way more friendly to Trump, anti-regulation, uh, that right. sort of thing.
6: Yeah, I know that's exactly right. There are. Um, pro-business and labor uh, groups um, that, you know, the, the Labor Department is only a sparring ground um, over a variety of regulatory and anti-regulatory activities. And um, I think that the perception was of Acosta that he was much more uh, sympathetic um, to the pro-labor side than the, uh, than the business regulatory, anti-business regulatory uh, force in Washington or coalition in Washington.
5: Uh, thanks so much, there, Ron. That's Ron Bonjean, who was the uh, former communications director to Speaker of the House uh, Dennis Hastert. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about USMCA. I prefer to call it New NAFTA, but uh, the president calls it USMCA. Uh, Donald Trump's speech on that out in uh, out in the Rust Belt there, where uh, Ron Bonjean is from, in fact. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more there later. T- download the SoundOn podcast on iTunes, Bloomberg.com. Or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. And you can also find us, of course, on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Craig Gordon. You're listening to Bloomberg
1: 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
5: Uh, we're back. I'm Craig Gordon here on Sound On. Adrian Elrod, a uh, former senior aide to the Hillary Clinton campaign, just as promised. Ron Bonjean's been here the whole time. He is a former communications director, to speaker of the House. Uh, Dennis Hastert, and we're going to talk about a lot of news of the day on a very, very busy week uh, here in Washington. President Trump uh, was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin today uh, pushing for the USMCA, the new trade agreement between the United States, Mexico, and Canada, obviously replacing the old uh, NAFTA agreement. The president says NAFTA replacement should be Congress's focus, and not uh investigating his administration every
3: day that goes by it gets more and more political because we get closer and closer to the election and maybe it's harder it shouldn't be hard i mean the day before you should sign this the day before the election but view it as a bipartisan bill and it shows that congress is doing something other
5: than wasting
3: time on the witch hunt
5: so, Adrian, putting the whole comments about the witch hunt aside, the president seems kind of eager. to Deal done. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has said she's, you know, she's interested in taking it up. She's got four main areas that, wanted, that she wants corrected: uh, labor protections, and environmental protections, and a few other things. Uh, do you think Democrats ultimately could be uh, could be convinced to support this bill? And and how does that help them against Donald Trump in twenty twenty?
4: Yeah, you know, I think this is actually something where we might see some commonality among some Democrats and Republicans. There are certainly Democrats, especially in manufacturing states, that want to see a trade deal um, come through. They want to see these reforms in place. And I do think that Leader Pelosi, there's nobody better, of course, when it comes to corralling her caucus, getting, um, you know, as much support as she can for something that really needs to pass, um, there's nobody better to do that than her. So this could be something that, that, you know, we actually see, what a novel concept, we actually see bipartisan legislation get passed in Congress.
5: I mean, that's sort of my question. Uh, You know, I I would guess there's a certain percentage of the Democratic caucus that wouldn't give Donald Trump a victory on anything. Um, Do do you think Pelosi can overcome some of those concerns to kind of deliver for for some of those industrial state uh, Democrats could really use a hand?
4: Well, certainly been through this rodeo many times before, especially I remember being in Congress in 2000, uh, working on the Hill in 2007, 2008, um, when, and then 2009, of course, when she became Speaker. And there were plenty of times where she had opposition within her own party, but she was able to accomplish what President Obama at the time wanted to, to have happen. And, um, you know, she also worked across the aisle with Republicans to make sure that certain legislative priorities got passed. So um, I'm sure that if this is something that, she feels a majority of Democrats in her caucus want to see happen, that she will find the votes.
5: Ron, uh, we've been hearing the president has been running against free trade pretty much ever since he uh, took that escalator down uh, in Trump Tower. Suddenly now he seems awfully eager, even mildly desperate to get this deal done. What's changed? What's in this for Donald Trump?
6: Well, look at where he's at, Wisconsin, um, right there. I mean, you have a number. Wisconsin went uh, to Trump, uh, but also uh, the governor, Governor Scott Walker, lost his race in 2018. So that state's definitely in play. There's definitely a political interest here in getting this done so that he can be successful. Um, you know, I would say that the odds of this happening are right now 50-50. Um, you know, while there are definitely uh, Democrats that um, are in, um, that, that could use this type of a win I don't know if it's going to be as easy as we think it's going to be. I mean, um, giving Trump a win on this is is a big deal, um, and so the calculus will have to be made: how many Democrats and Pelosi's mind, how many Democrats really need this versus um, do they want to give President Trump a win, a big trade win on renegotiating NAFTA?
5: So, if I recall correctly, you're a Milwaukee-born Brett. I am. So there you I'm go. What she said. So. That that's good, or a broadhead, or whatever they call it out there. But um, so, what's your what's your sense of the lay of land in Wisconsin right now? Obviously, I think a lot of us on election night, twenty sixteen, were pretty shocked to see uh, the state of Wisconsin go into Donald Trump's column. Obviously, we know the governor there, Scott Walker, prominent figure. But it's you know it's been pretty much a pretty much a blue state in presidential. Do you have a sense uh, from your trips back home and the folks you know back there, is Trump holding his ground there? Democrats making any inroads in the state of Wisconsin? Obviously, that's where they're going to hold their nominating convention um, next fall. What's your sense of, uh, of how things are shaping up?
6: My sense of it is exactly where it was in 2016, is that the polls virtually reflect the way people felt back then, the way they feel now. Not meaning that Trump is winning by a landslide, that they look relatively close um, there was a Marquette University poll that came out that had him, you know, had him virtually the same as he has been back then. So I, I would say from talking with my my folks and my friends back home that, you know, it's it's really the it's 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 really a jump ball that they still like they they still like Trump. They're giving him a chance, but there are a lot of Democrats who are energized, obviously, with uh, with. Um, Governor Evers beating uh, Scott Walker mm-hmm. at the same time was the Republicans in Wisconsin held the state legislature firm. Um, and we elect, elected elected, I believe, a state Supreme Court. Uh, uh, anyway, we elected somebody to the state Supreme Court. I don't know. I have to think about <laughs> all this stuff. But bottom line is, um, it's, a, it's a jump ball in Wisconsin. That's why the Democrats are putting their convention there. That's why Trump is there today.
5: Adrian, I could play devil's advocate and say it shouldn't be a Trump ball in Wisconsin. Again, it's it's a pretty blue state in presidential politics. A, any good Democrat in the state of Wisconsin should, has been watching for the past two and a half years. And they're, if you're a Democrat, you're probably somewhat aghast uh, with about a little bit less than a minute to go here. What is your what is your sense of how Democrats uh, are trying to make up ground against Trump? What's the message they need to send to those uh, to those folks?
4: Well, I think Ron literally just gave the Democratic Party's talking points talking about Wisconsin, <laughs> which is exactly why the Democratic National Con- um, Convention is being being held in Wisconsin. as a state that um, we very narrowly lost. Hillary Clinton very narrowly lost in 2016. as um, a state that we hope to win back. Um, Democrats had a really great year in, in Wisconsin in 2018. Hopefully that will translate um, into a successful 2020. But, you know, look, this is going to be a very tight race, and presidential races in particular tend to be very... Very, very tight in these swing states, and of course, as we all know, you win a state by five thousand votes, you get that all the delegates in that state in the presidential election. Um, so, you know, Democrats are taking nothing for granted. I think we learned a lot by some of the mistakes that we made in 2016, and those um, lessons will be applied to hopefully succeeding in 2020 for Democrats.
5: There you go. The um, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about a very uh, what promises to be a very divisive weekend in America as uh, Donald Trump and his, uh, his folks from ICE go out and do these deportation raids. I think there's going to be a lot of pretty gripping video, a lot of really strong feelings on both sides, um, and we'll be talking about that coming up here. I'm Craig Gordon, and you are listening to Bloomberg 991.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
1: You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
5: You've got Craig Gordon here on Sound On on this uh, very uh, sultry summer Friday, but a busy one as well. We are joined in studio by Adrian Elrod, a former senior aide to the Hillary Clinton campaign and a leading Democratic strategist. We've also got Ron Bonjean partner at Rock Solutions, who is a former communications director to Speaker of the House, Dennis Hastert. This weekend, we are going to witness um, sort of finally the the long-promised immigration raids that Donald Trump has been talking about. Uh, Reports in the New York Times and elsewhere are talking about uh, the raids taking place in 10 cities, targeting at least 2,000 immigrants who have been ordered deported. Donald Trump says these are criminals who who have overstayed their welcome. Um, and need to be sent home on his way to milwaukee wisconsin today he specifically confirmed that the uh, deportation raids would start this sunday here's what he had to say
3: it starts on sunday and they're going to take people out and they're going to bring them back to their countries or they're going to take criminals out put them in prison or put them in prison in the countries they came from
5: uh, not surprisingly, the Democrats uh, running to replace Donald Trump are, are not a fan of this idea and have uh, have criticized him uh, for carrying out these raids. Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, responded to the news of these raids uh, this weekend, talking uh, in herself uh, on the campaign trail about why it's a bad idea. And here's what Elizabeth Warren said.
2: It's way too early to be thinking about polls. I'm out here fighting for every single vote, talking with people about how we can build an America that doesn't just work for those at the top, but works for everyone.
5: So, Ron, uh, this is your party, and um, I have a feeling um, now that these raids have been uh, sort of forecast, uh, remember they were canceled a couple of weeks ago, When Trump said the media reported that they're happening, and so now that we've lost the element of surprise, it seems like they've lost the element of surprise again, will not shock me to learn that there would be TV cameras and whatnot out carrying out these raids. It could be some pretty gripping footage. Um, Whatever these people may have done or not done, you could see a lot of crying babies and a lot of crying people and a lot of violence and a lot of uh, sort of ugly, ugly stuff. How did, does this help Donald Trump in his um, in his fight to get reelected?
6: Well, it definitely helps with his base. I mean, his base wants him to be tough on immigration. And here's another another slice of that. Um, you know, other administrations have done this before. This was in, But not as publicized as this. I mean, obviously, Trump wants those cameras there, I think. Um, and it really depends on what those scenes are going to be. I mean, if they are actually catching criminals and deporting them to other countries, that's a what's one story. If it's families that are being separated, I mean, I I read that they're not going to be separating families, which I think is super smart um, politically um, and just visually would not be very appealing. So I I do think that um, that we are going to see some of some uh, emotional footage. But I in the end, I don't know how successful this is going to be. I mean, if you know that immigration authorities might be coming for you, probably going to lay low somewhere.
5: Adrian, uh, you know, Democrats uh, are already starting to talk about this on the campaign trail. Um, Again, it's uh, we're talking here about politics uh, at a moment of sort of a a kind of a very deeply human story. But that is what we do here in Washington sometimes. Uh, If you were, again, advising Elizabeth Warren or any of these candidates, would you have them talking about Would you have them showing up at some of these sites? What, What would you tell them to do?
4: yeah, I would have them talking about it a lot. I would have them showing up at some. and I would have them front and center with immigration groups trying to protect these families, trying to protect them from um, from these ice raids and it try, trying to at least, um, you know, provide some sort of, um, you know, position where they can um, show that they're trying to help these families. I mean, look, this is to Ron's point. I mean, this is the immigration is the single most important issue to Donald Trump's hardcore base. It's red meat that Donald Trump delivered to them in 2016. There's a reason why on Fox News every day, you hear, um, you know, talk about, you know, MS 13s or 14s, whatever the, the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the the group is that they could talk about, um, but there's a reason why they are constantly talking about that because it does drive Trump's base. So if you're a Democrat, this is the perfect way to contrast and say, I'm I'm on the side of immigrant family families. Um, I want to protect them. Now, you know there are some moderate voters out there, some swing voters, that two to three percent slice that um, will probably be undecided up until the final weeks of the general election, who you know may have different viewpoints on this, but. You know, look, I think people are so sick and tired of seeing what's happening at the border. These families being separated, children being kept in cages. And going back to what what Ron said, I mean, if these are actual, like, hardcore criminals who are being deported, that's one thing. But they're not. These are families that are being separated. This is Donald Trump not having an and trying to show that he's tough on immigration, but he's taking it to the extreme level.
5: Uh, I was lucky enough to attend the Democratic debates in my little front row seat there. I I will say, Adrian, I'm not sure your party has exactly figured out how to talk about this yet. Um, You know, we all know the emotional power of this for Trump's voters. Um, but mostly what I heard the Democrats on that stage that night, uh, Julian Castro, of course, saying we should decriminalize coming across the border. I think a lot of Democrats didn't agree with that even. And I, I think, again, even moderate voters might say, geez, if they broke the law, maybe we should send them home. You know, what is your party's message on immigration? What are you saying? If you say, fine, you don't want to see that, uh, that video we might see the weekend. Here's how the Democrats would do it if we get elected in 2020.
4: Well, look, I think you raise a very important point, which is, first of all, Democrats are not unified on this. Um, this um, is a complicated issue, and um, different candidates running in the primary have different viewpoints. Um, you know, I did uh, I did Morning Joe the morning after the debate, and the, you know, the first 15 to 20 minutes we talked about the fact that moderate voters in America, those people who want to get rid of Donald Trump, who don't want to see him in the White House, um, don't want to see him get reelected, But at the same time, they heard on that debate stage the night before that there are a lot of candidates who want to provide free health care to immigrants who are illegally um, coming across the border. So I think that we're not quite sure. Um, You know, I don't think that my party, frankly, is really um, figure out how to handle this issue because we are – on the side of the immigrant families in terms of, you know, creating a more humanitarian way for them to immigrate legally, to take care of those who are seeking asylum, to obviously get children out of cages. But I don't think that we've quite figured out how to message comprehensive immigration reform um, in the right way, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're constantly trying to push back against Trump's inhumane policies as opposed to actually having the time or space to come up with a very um, articulate, comprehensive policy on our own.
5: Uh, That's Adrian Elrod, who's a former senior aide of the Hillary Clinton campaign. We're also here with Ron Bonjean, a Republican guru for decades in this town here in Washington. And we're just getting warmed up on politics, which we'll talk about a little bit going forward here. Uh, We've got Robert Mueller's hearing. We've got uh, polls. We've got fundraising. We've got a lot to talk about. Download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Craig Gordon. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.72 Baltimore.
5: This is actually Craig Gordon. You are with Sound On, and we're here in the studio with Adrian Elrod, a former senior, the Hillary Clinton campaign, and Ron Bonjean. Uh, let's use one of Ron's other titles for this. Uh, he was also the communication strategist for United States Supreme Court nominee Judge Neil Gorsuch, who was, of course, confirmed to the Supreme Court and sits there even uh, still to this day. Um, look, uh, we this is kind of the 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 week, or maybe next week, we've been waiting for to hear from uh, Robert Mueller himself, um, his uh, testimony. Before the House was uh, scheduled for next week, there's been some talk it could get switched to the following week. But either way, I think it's going to be one of those sort of days in Washington that happen every now and then where the city is sort of transfixed. And there's a lot of high drama, as we hear from a man that we've mostly only heard from in his report and in that very brief uh, news conference he did that day. Um, of course, the um, House Democrats are eager to hear from Mueller. But, Ron, I'm actually sort of curious. um you know, as a Republican, like how much damage can Robert Mueller still do to Donald Trump at this point?
6: I don't think I don't think anything. I, I honestly I think that having uh, Mueller up is uh, on the hill to testify is really more of a liberal based exercise because it doesn't. There have been no there haven't been really many dividends that have paid off from this whole thing. And chasing Donald Trump on invest, on the investigative front is fueling the narrative that Trump's campaign and allies are. Are touting, which is that they're too busy um, with partisan exercises of investigating um, the president, as opposed to doing the doing the people's work uh, and passing legislation and getting their getting the job done in Washington that they were elected to do. Um, yes, I think we will be definitely be glued in to see um, see what he has to say. But I don't. I think this guy has some pretty strong message discipline. Um, and will likely not yield a whole lot of results plus this is going right into the august recess so you know any kind of bounce from that would probably be very low uh, at this point in terms of those who want impeachment
5: um in terms of the idea of the sort of the never-ending witch hunt uh, president donald trump spoke on the uh, expected Mueller testimony today on his way to milwaukee wisconsin um, here is uh, the president commenting on robert Mueller
3: for two and a half years so now they have Mueller go make a speech. That goes. Now they want it to have him again. They want to go it again and again and again because they want to hurt the president for the election.
5: Adrian, I have to say I'm a little bit with Ron on this one. This, has, this seems to me to have a very large danger of being anticlimactic and possibly even slightly uh, a bit of a backlash. But uh, why don't you tell us how you see it?
4: First of all, I love it when the president refers to himself in the third person. The president, <laughs> I do that sometimes. Sure. The Adrian host. The Adrian. <laughs> right. Right. Um, look, here's the thing. I choose to take, and this may sound crazy to you guys, but I actually choose to take politics out of this and look at the fundamental fact that there are still some questions in terms of, you know, the way Bob Mueller put his report together. You know, why did he... Um, you know, why did he not include a, a straight up recommendation for impeachment? Um, You know, there there are still some questions that Democrats have. And I think if you, and, and I think hopefully some Republicans as well, and I think if you take politics out of the equation and look at the fact that there are still some unanswered questions that we need to get to the bottom of, and Bob Mueller is the person who, you know, the special counsel who spent a long time looking into this matter, trying to use this time to clear up some of those questions. And I agree with Ron on this. Put this behind us and move on. Either we're going to impeach him or we're not. Because I will tell you, as a Democratic strategy, I don't want to have impeachment proceedings competing with the Democratic primary once we hit, um, you know, late, late, you know, November, December of this year going into January with the Iowa caucuses right around the corner. This is not something that we need to be contending with. So we either need to address this and move on. Or we need to, um, you know, start impeachment proceedings if that's actually going to happen sooner rather than later.
5: Right. But impeachment proceedings would almost certainly last at least in through the fall and in, in, in into the winter. I mean, it's just a, it's just a certain amount of time consuming process. Uh, are you saying that maybe Democrats should think twice about this and, and, and avoid impeachment altogether?
4: Well, I'm saying that if it's going to happen, and there there's certainly, I mean, Donald Trump has done so many things that would, you know, that would certainly warrant impeachment, um, you know, at least an impeachment inquiry and then possibly impeachment proceedings. But if this is going to happen, we need to either start doing it and focus on getting to the bottom of this, or we need to move on and focus on beating him at the ballot box in 2020.
5: Um, The part that's interesting to me, people remember when uh, Dana Carvey used to do George H.W. Bush impersonation, and people came to think of that impersonation as exactly how Uh, George H.W. Bush talked, you know, and all that stuff. I kind of feel like we're all going to expect to see Robert De Niro and sit in in that chair. Um, You know, Ron, the the fact is Robert Mueller does know what he knows, and he did write in his report that uh, certainly there was he could not absolve the president of obstruction. He seemed to leave the question of impeachment to Congress, but certainly left open the possibility that the president had committed impeachable offenses, you know. What is the percentage of danger for Trump that Mueller does put some slightly new twist on this that even the American people says, "Whoa, I, I never thought of it that way. I didn't know that's how he was thinking about it. We might need to look at this more seriously."
6: Yeah, I think very low. I mean, I don't think you're going to see much of a different performance from Mueller uh, than you're than you've seen. Yes, he'll be questioned for I've heard from two to three hours. Sure, could something come out of that? Yeah, but I I, I don't. I don't see this going anywhere. I don't see this really snowballing at this point. I mean, unless he were to get off his message and really show a lot more like there, which I don't think he's inclined to do. I think he's trying to let the report speak for itself. And I think you're going to see him um, stay very tight in his message.
5: Um, Let's move a little more broadly in 2020. Generally, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Adrian, I'm interested to know what you thought about the Democratic debate. A follow-up this week showed Joe Biden still holding a very commanding lead among South Carolina Democrats. A lot of African-American voters that love Joe Biden still love Joe Biden. He's he's holding about a 35 percent. He's almost 20 percent points ahead of Sanders. If Joe Biden is holding on to African-American voters after the whooping he took um, from Kamala Harris at that debate, boy, that sure seems like a guy who could be headed toward the nomination. What is your sense of Biden's strength right now and uh, weaknesses?
4: Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. I mean, look, Kamala Harris, no question, commanded that debate stage on Thursday night, the second night of the the debates. Um, Whether or not you agree with her on policy, um her positions she commanded that debate stage, um and she did what she needed to do i mean To an extent, she almost needed a Hail Mary to get her candidacy out of the single digits, and she made that work. She was able to raise $2 million in 48 hours. Um, We know that she was on track to raise probably about $10.5 million. Um, She ended up raising $12 million in Q2, but she was still far under in terms of what other candidates raised. So she needed that moment, and she succeeded. However, to the point that you just made about the Fox News poll... Joe Biden, what that poll shows is that Joe Biden has very deep-rooted support among key constituencies of the Democratic Party. That includes people over the age of 50 and African-Americans. Those are the two most important voting blocks that you need as a Democratic candidate. So I think he's doing pretty well right now.
5: Uh, That sure sounds away from that poll. They're they're all up in Iowa Iowa this weekend and next week, so we'll have more to work with on that. You can download the SoundOn podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. And you can also find us on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Thanks to our guests today, Adrian Elrod and Ron Bonjean. I'm Craig Gordon, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
4: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis,